episode seven is here. The Juke, we're back. It's Mitch, joined by none other than Dr. Jen Welter. It is almost draft time. We are about a week away from the draft, and I am absolutely excited. But Jen, do you know who's not so excited right now? Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence to win Super Bowl. Okay, so when your daddy says you're not that competitive and that your your girlfriend's more competitive than you, which, you know, if you were dating me, you might have that problem. But I mean, I don't know what his girlfriend's like, right? But I don't really want to hear that before draft. Yes, and now it's his wife, but this came out before they were married. I know, I know, but like, I don't care who it is. You, you're dating, you're married, whatever. Like, you're my quarterback. I want you to win some rings. You gave me a ring, now you better go win some rings, baby. Get out on that field. And it came dad. Here's my problem, is I feel bad for Jacksonville fans because when you're the franchise quarterback, like, I'm not saying this means that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a bust. He's going to suck. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're Jacksonville, this franchise has never had a legitimate starting franchise quarterback who has ever been that guy that's first in, last out, that's been that guy that's renowned for his work ethic, the guy that is there, that's going to win championships, that's going to win every year, no matter what. Now, Trevor Lawrence may be able to do that, right? But it doesn't appear that this is going to be a first overall pick. You want that to be a fundamental aspect of that player. Do you not? Yeah. You want it to be that guy. It's gotta be that guy, right? Everybody right now with the quarterback position, particularly, right? Because there are so many, this is a quarterback heavy draft and everybody is looking for who is the next, that guy right? Who is the next it factor? We don't want to be the team that ended up with Trubinsky over Mahomes, right? That, that's what we don't want to do, right? We want to find the guy who is that guy, right? Who's going to be your next Tom Brady? Who's going to be your next Aaron Rodgers? Who's going to be your next Russell Wilson, right? Who is that guy? And everybody believes that that guy is in this draft, maybe more than once, but I don't want to hear, well, you know, man, it's cool. Because let me tell you, let me tell you what I hear. If I am an old lineman who is stepping in front of literal moving trucks and my quarterback says, it's not that important, then I might think, well, you know what's not that important? Ole, go right on by. You know, like you got this D-line, like why don't we show him what important feels like? Because all the guys on that team do not get paid as much as the quarterback, and yet their grind is just as high, and their sacrifices might even be higher for less money. And I don't want the guy who's going to come in and supposed to be the guy being, Meh, maybe I'm the guy. I'm not doing it. And by the way, Daddy, Daddy Lawrence, I have something for you too. And if you don't exactly know exactly what Jen's talking about, just to give you the quote here, Trevor has always been like this. Everybody in the family says that off the football field, Marissa, who played soccer at Division II Anderson University, is more competitive than he is. His father says he's not award-driven. He's not. I want to win a Super Bowl at all costs. So... Again, does this dismiss the ability for Trevor Lawrence to be a fantastic quarterback? 
No, absolutely not. But I think it's very interesting, Jen, that you brought up Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, I believe you brought up. Interesting that all of those players had a chip on their shoulders and due to this day. Part of that is because they were not picked first. Part of that was because they were passed up on, right? Tom Brady was 199th overall. We hear it every year, okay? And then we have Russell Wilson, who I believe was a third round pick. We have Aaron Rodgers, who was sitting in the green room the whole time, you know, an embarrassment to him, right? That's what he said. So all of these great quarterbacks, it almost feels like a trend. Joe Montana going back way back, right? All of these guys have been rather late picks. They've had some sort of chip on their shoulders or they've been passed up to some degree and that fuels them, that drives them. And I think that could speak to anything really, athletes, you know, artists, anything when you're the greatest or you're one of the best, I do think you need a chip on your shoulder. That's why this irks me. I don't think he can be the best without the chip, Jen. Look, I think you can be the best without the chip, right? There are some people who are, I mean, Tom Brady doesn't need to have a chip anymore, right? He's a freaking winner. Anymore is the key word. But you know what? Trevor Lawrence, did you win the national championship this year? Oh, wait, you didn't. And I would definitely have a chip on my shoulder after how you lost in that game. I don't care if you lost, but I do care that you didn't really seem that bothered by it, right? Like if I'm gonna not make it to the national championship when we were, you know, favorited, I'm upset by that. And when you hear, oh, he's just not that guy and he's never been that guy, then it throws up red flags for me on every time that he wasn't that guy. Right. I get that highlight or low light, I should say, real in my head of him in that game and they're getting destroyed and he wasn't destroyed like he wasn't emotional. He also wasn't like, we got to do this. Like it was just kind of like and I don't know how that works with Urban Meyer, who is rumored to be one of the most competitive humans on face the planet. And the other thing that's a little bit bizarre about this is that it's never really been a conversation whether or not he would be number one. Now, some people have said he, you know, they wouldn't be his pick, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's always been, I know, I know I'm giving you props on that, bitch, right? No, I don't know if that's right, though, but I'm just saying that I, that's one but of But the truth is that it really hasn't been a conversation. Everybody's talking about two through five, right? It hasn't. And so has he just, you know, been able to get by on what it is and will he have the upside because everybody knows where the guys are right now but the the magic in the draft and what you're trying to get to is who has the upside who is going to trend upwards who is going to develop into greatness as opposed to saying where they are right now and if you're just not that competitive are you going to put in the same work as the guy who's like you know what go ahead and hate me right? Go ahead and not believe because I don't have anything to lose and I have everything to gain. And that's what I'm seeing right now. And if I'm some of the order, other quarterbacks, even more importantly, I'm going, you know what? I'm going to show you what work looks like. I'm going to show you I have a chip on my shoulder. Put your hair in a ponytail and let's get to work. There's so many ways to break this down. I know it's just a comment, but there's so many things to say about it. I think the first way I'm going to go here is Trevor Lawrence, I feel, is somebody we know for sure in college 
never lost a lot. I'm sure in high school, he never lost a lot. I'm sure when he was playing, you know, little football, you know, peewee, whatever, he wasn't losing very much because he's always been the best athlete on the field. And it hasn't really mattered that work ethic. But like we all know at the NFL level, all these athletes are great, especially a quarterback when there's 32 that are going to start. And it really, the difference is to me is with the Tom Brady or the Drew Breeses or these guys is that extra little bit. And that is why I've been pounding the table for Mac Jones. This is my guy. I know everyone doesn't like him. I think Justin Fields should go ahead of him. Trey Lance should go ahead of him. Everybody should go ahead of him. But the thing I see with Mac Jones beyond his level of play is that tenacity to get better. And I think that is going to serve him well at the NFL level. You know, one of the things that's interesting to me, and I always looked at, like people would look at combine numbers. I'm not as concerned with the absolute number. What I am concerned about is the differences in numbers between one time when they measured and the next. Have they been working, right? What's the upside? What's the grind factor? And you can see a lot of that in where you know, the extra things that people do. And that's where the competitive nature comes in is like, you know, are you going to get up earlier? Are you going to go harder? Are you going to put in extra tape? Or are you going to just, you know, maybe do some stuff? And the great ones realize that, especially in the quarterback room, the extra time on tape and the football IQ are what, you know, (laughs) provide you longevity, provide you wins, help you get out of sacks, you know, all of those things. And I I now just kind of go like, hmm, right? Like it it makes me think that. Now, one of the things that I will chime in on, Mitch, just as a little bit of a spoiler alert with the, you know, the number ones never do well. Generally, it's because of the team they're going to, too. That's true. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, I, I mean, it is that competitive nature. It is the chip on the shoulder. And some of them, it is like a, a disconnect between, you know, that mentality. But it is also the number one draft because it was the worst team in the league the last year. And so we can't mm-hmm. just yeah. look at, at it at the quarterback without context. But we can in terms of what is the quarterback going to contribute, right? Yeah, I think it's a matter of, like you said, it's situation and then what you make of that situation, right? It's a combination of both. And just to to end this segment here, I feel like when we look at it going forward, judging Jacksonville, we've heard so much about how Tom Brady has taken the culture to Tampa Bay and how he made everybody better. Will Trevor Lawrence do that as the number one pick? That's part of the responsibility as big as that is. There is a quarterback who was a first overall pick who just recently retired. His name is Alex Smith. Alex Smith had a just incredible comeback to pro football. And Jen, as a former player and a coach, what are your thoughts on Alex Smith and his passion for the game? You know, Alex Smith, I think, championed the human spirit for all of us for um, the sacrifice, the overcoming, the fear, the literally almost losing his leg, and then to be able to come back and play. And I think it's really a well-placed segue or uh, you know, back-to-back to put that right behind somebody who just said, you know, Meh. I mean, I'm competitive, but maybe, right? Like, could you ever picture those words 
having come out of Alex Smith's mouth. No, no, especially not with all he went through to just get back on the field and play. And it's that that inspires other people to go harder, go further, do it. You couldn't have been on the team with Alex Smith and thought, I'm just going to kind of maybe today. Right. Seeing what he was going through to get back to the to the field. And I mean, we saw an inspired Washington Redskins team. Right. We really did see them outperform on levels. And, you know, when you have a guy like Alex Smith on the team, he's having that that impact on other people around him. Right. Just like Tom Brady. And I don't know that you get that with Trevor Lawrence. And did I hear a rumor that Urban Meyer had actually been possibly interested in Alex Smith before he retired? Yes, I believe it was Jacksonville who reached out to him. I believe it was. I think you're correct. Because hold up, wait a minute. That might be the missing link right there. You know, were you saying that we need somebody who would literally almost die for the game of football to mentor this man about what it takes to be a pro's pro, right? Like yeah. to have that passion and leadership and drive that could uplift people. And maybe that was Urban Meyer's way of thinking like, we have to build that into this kid for him to actually reach his full potential, which I think a lot of people think he has, but you know, was Urban Meyer looking for Alex Smith to build that into Trevor Lawrence? And that, you know, that I could see. Yeah, that's a really interesting take, you know, because they kind of came out at the same time, both of those things. And it's like, that, that makes sense. And I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have that presence in the locker room. Alex Smith was the guy who started ahead of Patrick Mahomes, remember, right? So maybe, and I know for a fact, because Mahomes has spoken about it, he said that Alex Smith has helped him and develop into that pro that is a franchise quarterback. So Jacksonville doesn't really have that. I guess you could look at maybe Gardner Minshew. Really? Potentially. He hasn't been around as long as Alex Smith. Wait, what am I going to get from Minshew? I don't know. I don't know him. But he does seem like Come on. a guy Come on, pretty pretty smart. Not a great talent. but He's not going to impress upon or mold a young quarterback. He hasn't done enough. He's not as, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you what a conversation would be like because I don't know anything about him. I couldn't tell you, you know, He's, he's yeah. not a proven entity to me, right? And and mentorship is okay. part of that. Like, you know, I admire you for what you've done and how you've done it, right? And I, right. he's not somebody I'd tap and be like, you know, you got to get Minshew. I was just throwing it out there. That's the only guy they really have. That's what I'm saying. But could you see maybe Alex Smith coaching? I think so. I think that's actually where he may go but I think it's going to be with Andy Reid. I don't think it's going to be anywhere else. <laughs> well, but you know, I, it would be really interesting to see, to see that trajectory, but I can't help but feel that that was part of what they were looking for in Jacksonville. And it really is valuable, especially for quarterbacks to really learn how to be a pro's pro. Just look at what Jameis Winston has said um, about Drew Brees and you know, that's something he's always wanted, right? Like, I know that from JMO. And talking, talking to him earlier in the season, he was like, you know, it, it's it's been great to learn from Breeze every day, right? And, and 
for those young quarterbacks, especially yeah. the ones that, you know, now are not getting, they're expected to be great now. You need somebody who's great at being great to help take some of those, you know, give you some some secret sauce. And um, I, I, I have to say that I think that's probably what it was. Even if it's from afar too, it doesn't have to be up close and personal, you know, showing you what to do, but just seeing it in the building is something that you can experience and learn from. Oh yeah. And even like you can pick up big things on like just watching tape with someone, right. Or like sharing secrets or how you watch something or something that's worked for you. That was something I did like throughout my career, people who were great. I'd be like, teach me something, right? Like what, what's a secret hack or like, what's something you would look for or, you know, just, and being fascinated by the way that other people see the game. Now, do all of them end up being better than what I was doing before or things that you fully adopt? No, but there's so much that you can learn by being around people who have been to the highest of the high, especially in what you want to do directly. So with the draft, not that far away, I want to wrap up here with giving potentially a favorite prospect to watch or just your favorite prospect in the draft. And Jen, you do know that I have a new man crush on one Kadarius Tony, who is the human joystick. By far the most fun tape I watched. I had not seen the human joystick until today. And I will say, Mitch, that you brought joy into my existence as I watched him stick those cutbacks. Like he was breaking ankles, breaking hearts, and what, tearing ACLs? He did, yep. And with no contact, he just broke off. Like that is a bad, 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 bad man. And I think the receiver class is going to be particularly interesting in in this one. Um, You know, I don't know if it helps them or hurts them that there are so many talented receivers and that other than quarterbacks and receivers, like there's onesie twosies on people that you like, but not, not a ton, not depth. So it'll be interesting to see how the, how the receivers run in this draft. Uh, I would have liked to see uh, what's our guy Parsons try and Mm -hmm. tackle your, your joystick. Yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe we'll see it at the NFL level. I'm sure we will, but I'm going to, I'm going to hashtag, like, I want to see that matchup right now. Yeah. I think as for the wide receiver position, it's interesting because the last couple of years, it's been pretty loaded. And sometimes you see it's a matter of preference, a lot like quarterback, like certain guys that you didn't expect to go 15th overall, go 15th overall, because this team likes this. Maybe they like the speed or this team likes the route runner. This team likes the guy that breaks ankles. Like there's so many different niches with the wide receiver position with Tony and so all these other guys that it's going to make it interesting and all about the fit. Of course, I'm, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen, obviously with the wide receivers, um, but also on that that tight end dynamic because they're not deep there. Um, and on defense, we there's not a lot of ballers. <laughs> yeah, like there's a couple of guys that really flash and we've talked about them already, but it's it's a really kind of strange draft for me, you know, especially being a defensive side like I think right it's going to be interesting and it's going to be really really important to get that scheme fit right like you got to find not just a guy but the right guy for what you're doing and that's going to be interesting so many of the teams are going to be so different this year especially because of the limited tape as well 
and we'll just have to find out for ourselves. So that's another episode of The Juke. We do have a interview with... Oh my gosh, she's the baddest of the bad, Mitch. I'm gonna introduce you to a good friend of mine. Are you ready? Like, spoiler alert, secret I'm ready. But here's a hint. The first female agent to have a top five player in the NFL draft. We are back with our exclusive interview with agent Kelly Masters. Jen, I know that you have, of course, your epic intro. So, Mitch. Yes. I have the best of the best. You know, I only roll with the baddest of the baddies, the women who change the game the right way all the time. But wait, I don't know if you know just how good this woman is. Not only was she the first female agent to represent a top five pick, but she has also repped more athletes than any other woman in history. And oh wait, by the way, last year, all of her players were starters. That's right, the one, the only, the one you want with your player who always has it back, Kelly Masters. Hi, how are you, Jen? You are the woman, I am so excited to be with you talking today, talking football, I love it. Uh, I mean, talking football and players and Mitch, if you don't know this, one of the funniest things is before Kelly and I even met each other, we were like paired by people. They're like, oh, you guys are so much the same. Like Coach Jen always talks about how she loves her players. The agent that always talks about the relationships and athlete player relationship, Kelly Masters, you guys have to know each other. Are you like totally friends? And we were like, will be. I remember Jen before meeting you and people would say that to me, like, you've got to meet this woman. She's remarkable. And I read, I think an interview or something about you and one of your players that you coached in the NFL was talking about maybe a note that you'd written him. Like you left him a note or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, I have found like my twin in coaching. Like this is exactly what I would do. And so from day one, I had such respect because I'm like, yes, this is a woman who gets it. This is a woman who sees players, not just their potential on the field, but them as human beings. And in order to coach them effectively, in order to represent them effectively, you have to see them for who they really are. Um, And you and I connect on that. And we've always connected on that. And I love it. I love what you've done. I love what you're doing. And I just, I just want to be part of your life. I just just love what you do. This is so great. And, And the feeling is so mutual. And Kelly, I think with that, I don't know if a lot of people would understand how you got into being an agent, because obviously, I mean, you were the trailblazer in terms of female agents, right? The ones that we see now are, are really standing on your strong shoulders and you personally mentored so many of them, but it was kind of a unique path for you. Can you just give us a little background? Yes. So I grew up in Oklahoma, which um, of course my neighbors to the South in Texas will argue with me, but I think Oklahoma high school football is just it. So I was raised on Oklahoma football, high school football, Oklahoma Sooners, OSU Cowboys. Every single Friday night was a football game. Every single Saturday was um, a college game. And then on Sundays we watched the Cowboys or the Steelers. And so my, my whole life revolved around, honestly, just being a great, like being a fan. I remember 
asking my dad though, my dad was an attorney, but he was also a radio play-by-play guy. And so I would go with him as a little bitty girl to games when he would call games. And I would have all these questions like, daddy, tell me about this. Tell me, you know, why do they do that? Why do they do this? And uh, finally, I remember being like, you know, four and a half, five years old and my dad sitting down and going, okay, I'm tired of all of your like questions. I'm just going to give you a chalk talk. I'm going to explain the X's and O's. You're going to get it. And then no more questions. Got it? And I was like, no, five-year-old me. Okay. So anyway, got my first Chalk Talk when I was a little bitty, fell in love with a game, became such a fan and, you know, didn't get to play. And that's the funny thing is I remember as a little girl going, I want to be out there. Like I would go to the games and go, I want to be out there on the field. And, you know, my parents would be like, oh, well, girls don't play football. I wish I'd known you back then. I don't know what position I would have played, but maybe corner. I don't know. Um, But I loved the game. I wanted to be part of it. And so my route to being part of the game initially was as a baton twirl. I was like, well, I don't want to be a cheerleader on the sidelines. I want to be out on the field and the twirler gets to be on the field. So I'm going to do that. So I did that through college, um, went to law school, honestly thought I never had an idea that I could work in football. That just, I always thought, you know, I love it, but it's not, I don't see any avenues for me. And so I'm just going to love the game, but I'm going to pursue my passion. And my passion was serving. My passion was helping people. My passion was, um, you know, I was raised by a lawyer. I learned so much from my father. I admired how he would take everybody's problems on himself on his own shoulders and give them solutions. He was always in their corner. And I'm like, that's the kind of person I want to be. I want to be someone who is advocating and protecting and fighting for people I care about. And so I didn't know it, but everything was aligning. I went to law school. I started my law practice. My initial you know, heart for serving people started with working in the nonprofit arena. So as a trial lawyer, I got to be competitive as a trial lawyer but I also got to work with nonprofit organizations of people giving back. And then it's funny how fate just steps in. I got a call five years into my law practice from an NFL player and his family. They had started a foundation. They had run into all kinds of issues and they needed a lawyer. So they hired me and that turned my world upside down. I started learning about what players go through when they go through that transition from student athlete to professional and all the things that are involved in that. And I remember his mom grabbing my hand in a board meeting and saying, where were you in the beginning? Why didn't we have someone like you in in our corner? You should be an agent. And that's where it started. So yeah, I, uh, I took a really indirect route. I became a certified NFL contract advisor at age 32. I had no connections. I knew nothing about the industry. I knew I studied and passed the exam on the collective bargaining agreement and salary cap. And so I knew the business like legal nuts and bolts of everything. But other than that, I was completely green. And you know what? I jumped in. I said, you know what? I'm going, I'm passionate about helping these players become the best that they can be on and off the field with their legacies, with their brand, with their everything that they want to accomplish in their life. So I'm just going to jump in and figure it out. And here I am 16 years later, still doing it. And I love that. And speaking of where were you from the beginning? And you have a player right now who is in the beginning. And I I personally cannot think of a better person to look out for Tylen Wallace, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State. So I don't know if a lot of people understand what that beginning looks like, what this process is. Can you take us through coming out of school, you're now going to do combine or this year, which was weird, which was more pro days, and then going into the draft process and what that's like for him and also for you as an agent and what advice would you give other people 
who don't really understand that part. You know, a lot of people have this image of what an agent is like, and they picture Jerry Maguire, they picture show me the money and, and all the stereotypical images, <laughs> which of course I, you know, not that I say that, but of course, part of my job will be to make sure he is paid commiserate with his uh, abilities, with his market value, with his value to the team, all of that. So that's part of it, obviously, but that's not where we start. So when we start, this is a kid. Remember, they're 21 years old, 22 years old. They are kids that we are putting up on this pedestal and have all these expectations on. And so I get to know these kids through their college career, their families. I've become very close with, with Tylan and his mom and his twin brother, which I totally identify with because I'm a twin. And so I, I kind of recruited both of them through the process, Tylan and Trayson, his twin brother. Trayson is going to become a coach, by the way, which I need to get you in touch with him because he could use your mentorship. But Tylan, so I, I follow him all the way through his career. I learn everything about him, what makes him tick, his makeup, you know, just on and off the field, who he is, the strengths that he brings to the table, the things that he needs to work on to make that transition to the next level. And so learn everything about him, sit down, convince him that I'm the right steward for his career. And then he and his family made that decision. As an agent, I spend a ton of time recruiting, a ton of time just like falling in love with these players and getting to know everything about them. And at the end of the day, sometimes I just get a text that says, thanks you know, go in a different direction. But then on the wonderful days, I get the phone call, uh, like I did from Thailand, who said, I want you to be my agent. I trust you with my career. And so I went to the bowl game with Thailand after he finished his final collegiate game. Um, we sat down, we, you know, did all the, the necessary paperwork, and then we mapped out what his next few weeks were going to look like. I checked him into a training facility. He, he wanted to train close to home. So I found a great place, great trainer, great position coaches, great media coaches, interview coaches, all of the above. So this army of people to help him get ready for, we didn't know if there was going to be a combine, um, but get ready for whatever the evaluation process was going to look like. I had to remind him, however, and a lot of people don't think about this, that scouts and teams typically make their decisions based on a body of work, based on their film study, and based on scouts who have gone to watch the players. When we have pro days and combine, that is a check the box. Like, is he as fast as we thought he was? Is he as strong as we thought he was? Is he, does he medically check out? How do, how does he do in the interview room? So it's a lot of checking off those boxes. The biggest thing with the combine and pro day process is medicals and team interviews because they've already seen the film. And I can't, as an agent, no matter what I say, can't change what's on film. <laughs> I just can't. As much as I want to, to make teams think certain things about players, the film is what it is. And so I just walk him through the process. I communicate with teams. I make sure they have the access to him that they need, that they have the information, that they're looking at the right information on him, that they have all the questions answered. Something that I did this year because I had an inkling we wouldn't have a combine is the day I signed him, the very next day, we got on a plane to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to go to Sanford Health to get a complete physical head-to-toe concussion, sweat test, echo, EKG, um, stress test. He saw an ortho, he did MRIs, he did x-rays. We had, we put together an entire independent medical file to attach to his college file so that every single team, all 32 teams had all of his medicals from an independent uh, review um, and an independent physical from an elite standpoint and sent those out to teams. Teams were so excited when I did that, because they're like, we're hearing that there's no combine. And then he wasn't going to do senior bowl. That's another aspect of it is doing the all-star games. He was one of those guys that in a typical year probably wouldn't have gone 
to a senior bowl or a shrine game or an NFL PA game because he has such good film. And a lot of teams were saying, don't go. But because there was no combine, the senior bowl was his one opportunity to get on the field, prove himself in front of eyeballs, and also to get in rooms. And Jen, you and I can appreciate this. I mean, here we're sitting here on Zoom. This has been everyone's world for the last year is connecting through Zoom. There's something about sitting in a room and connecting with someone and seeing their body language and feeling their vibe. And um, only the players that went to Senior Bowl this year got that chance to sit in a room. It was behind plexiglass, but you got to sit in a room with teams. So yeah, so that's my first you know, few weeks with a new player is like I have this new baby and I'm doing everything for him. Not that he's not capable, but it's just a ton to do and a ton to process. And I am his eyes and ears when it comes to dealing with the union and with the teams through the entire process, make sure he's prepared. And then once we get through that whole evaluation process, then it's the draft. And then it's, okay, is he really ready to transition to the NFL? And so I have all of my veteran players pour into my young guys, pour wisdom, give them recommendations, we get them set up. And then then after that, it's a lot of non-football stuff, a lot of legal work, a lot of business stuff, setting up entities, helping him find a house where he's drafted, helping him ship his car and his dog to the new location, like all of that stuff falls on my plate. So yeah, an agent does a lot more than just shout, show me the money. How does that recruitment process actually start and when does it start? I know you kind of alluded to it, but you said so much information that I was just overwhelmed. So maybe go back to the beginning and maybe let the people know, like, how does that start and how do you track these players down and determine who your player is going to be? Great question. So I, in my very early years as a baby agent, I realized that I needed to, I didn't just need to do my own evaluation, I needed to know the evaluators. I needed to know the decision makers. And so I purposely got in my car and drove from place to place to place, sitting down and talking to scouting departments, talking to scouts, meeting area scouts, meeting regional and national scouts, talking to general managers, understanding how they evaluated players. And I started developing relationships. And I remember early on, some of my male counterparts were like, Kelly, why are you wasting your time getting to know all these scouts? And I was like, well, first of all, it's not a waste of time because these guys are boots on the ground. They are the ones that are writing the reports that turn into draft grades that turn into names on a big board. Um, every team. So you got to know the scouts and you got to know what they're looking at and how they're scouting because so many, there's so many different approaches. And so I developed a really vast network of scouts across the NFL. And number two, I also said the really good scouts are going to become general managers someday. And now 23 of the current general managers in the NFL were dudes that I met when they were area scouts driving from school to school evaluating players. And I still have those relationships. Guess what? It wasn't a waste of time. And so relationships, learning, sitting and watching film with them, um, understanding what they're watching, what they're looking for, and what else they want to know. I remember one of the oldest scouts, CEO Bercato. Jen, I don't know if you ever met him. The Tennessee Titans war room is named after him. He's passed away since then. He was probably 80 when I met him. He, he actually invented the cone drill, the, the L drill. Um, he's been around, he would, he had been around forever when I met him and, um, and that was 16 years ago. And I remember, you know, having dinner with him one time, he, we met for dinner when he was in Oklahoma scouting some players 
And I think we had dinner at like 4.30 in the afternoon. And he was like, Kelly, you're going to be the best agent because you're listening and you're learning and you're taking the time. And he said, when I watch a player, it's there are a lot of talented players in the NFL, but you know what it comes down to? Heart. It comes down to heart. And he's like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking not just at the stats, I'm looking at the heart. And that shaped me. And so I remember that to this day. So I start gathering information on players. I, I, because I have all of these, to me, they're all like brothers or uncles. They just will call and say, Hey, Kelly, you need to check out this player. Like I think from a, an on the field and off the field standpoint, he's a perfect fit for what you do. And so I get a lot of recommendations and I compile scouting reports from around the country on players as early as their freshman year. And then I start making those calls, making those cold calls, finding ways to get in front of them, finding ways to connect with families. Social media has become a bigger part of recruiting, but I'm still old school. I still pick up the phone. I still want to sit in living rooms and develop real relationships. And that's where the whole recruiting process starts. It starts early on and I'll recruit 30 or 40 players for one draft and end up signing one to four, typically. One of the things you said is so interesting is that, you know, you wanted to know all elements of the business and how they interconnected. I remember I did the same thing when I took a scouting and general management course and I was working with players on the, on the psychology side. But it was like, how am I going to help you be equipped to manage this process if I don't understand it, right? And, and so much of the friction comes in where it's a lack of understanding in how all of those things fit together. And a lot of the guys, you know, they go yes. through it. So they assume that they know all of it, whether they do or not having experienced it. But from a female coming in, it's a very different element. And the care that you put into it is, is also unique. One of the things we always hear from players is the game doesn't love you. And my feedback is the game doesn't, but the people can. And I know that's something that you've been known for throughout your career. Can you tell me a, a particular story of a player who that really might've made a difference for? There are so many, <laughs> so many stories. One story that I, I don't know if this answers your question, but it pops into my mind because it's one of my all-time favorite player stories. I was at the combine with Gerald McCoy and Gerald was the number three overall pick to uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2010. He was a you know classic three technique tackle, amazing young man who had lost his mother uh, very suddenly when he was a freshman in college and he and his mom were very, very close. And she was the strong matriarch of the family. And she died of an aneurysm. It was very sudden. He didn't get to say goodbye and it always stayed with him. And I had met her actually, because I met Gerald when he was in high school. So fast forward, I'm representing him in the draft. We go to the combine and I'm walking around Indianapolis and going from meeting to meeting. And I get this phone call from Gerald, but I could barely understand him. He was bawling just could not get his breath. He was bawling. I was like, what's wrong? Are you hurt? Are you injured? You know, what's going on? And he's like, they're trying to get me to do an MRI. And I was like, well, then do an MRI. <laughs> no one's ever died in an MRI machine to my knowledge. You're going to be fine. Just do the MRI. And he's like, no, Kels, you don't understand. Like I'm, I'm really claustrophobic and they don't seem to get that here and no one will help me. And without even a second thought, I was like, do you want me to come to you? And he's like, can you? And I was like, I will find a way. And so I went to where they had taken him to the, the MRI machines at the combine at the at Lucas Oil were too small for him. And so, cause he was a massive guy. And so they took him to a local hospital. So I took, this was years ago. So I took a cab to the hospital. 
I met him. He's pacing around the room. He's in tears. I'm like, we've got to get this done. Like if you refuse this MRI, it could hurt your draft stock. Like they will send you home for the combine. You cannot, they will think you're hiding something. You got to do it. And I will talk you through it. And so we tried everything. We wheeled him in like seven times. And every single time he would freak out and burst into tears and start yelling. And so finally, I was like, I asked the doctor, I was like, can we give him a sedative? Is there like, can we play music? What what can we do? And he's like, we can't give him anything. You're just going to have to sing to him. And I'm like, okay. So we couldn't get it done. He had dinner that night with the lions. And so I was like, look, we got to get him back to dinner. And I put him in a cab and I, on the way to dinner, he falls asleep and I wake him up. I'm like, okay, you go to dinner with the lions. I will take care of this. I'll figure something out. So he went to dinner. I started calling. I found a hospital with an open MRI. So the sides were open. They'd been trying to put him in the normal MRI. Wasn't working. So long story short, I sat in an open MRI machine room with my player because he refused to let me leave the room. And I sat with him for four hours while he got his MRI and until like one o'clock in the morning. And I told jokes, I sang to him, I visualized with him like, this is what it's gonna be like when you're drafted. And then when you run out of the tunnel the first time in an NFL uniform, and I was just trying to get his mind off of what he was going through and tears were still streaming down his face. Anyway, bottom line, he gets out and I hear him on the phone with his dad and he's like, dad, it was like mom was in the room with me. And uh, the tech was like, I have never seen an agent do that. I've never seen an agent that cared enough to go spend time to make sure her player was going to be okay. And that moment solidified our relationship. He always knew I had his back. It's so funny, Kelly. I had a player after one of our games, you know, and they'll take them for, you know, to get examined, right? Um, right after the game, they get hurt and they just send them off. And I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Who's with him right now? Right. And they're like, oh, you know, the med staff. And I was like, ah, no, no, mm-mm. And I was like right in there with him holding his hand. You might not be able to do anything, but you certainly can take away some of that, that pain. Yeah. They're human beings. You know, they may be big and talented and ridiculously strong, but they are human beings. And that's when, when people say, oh, women aren't wired to be agents. Women are too soft or too emotional or whatever. I'm like, no, women are the badasses that can do it all. Like we can be there and be caring and make them feel like we know who they are as people and value them as people. And we can also fight our asses off for them to make sure that they have the best possible opportunities. So women are fully capable. I, yeah, I, and I, I think now, you know, I, I was trying to tell everybody that in the beginning before I had any actual track record. And now I can look back at all my my guys that I have watched grow up and are now going on to having, you know, second careers and families and, and, uh, are being productive citizens. And I know that it was important that I was in their life. For sure. So let's go back to the current draft and the player that you have now going in. I know you, you probably can't give us the inside scoop on who's looking at them because we know, you know, and you're fielding the call, but what we can ask is, is there a particular team that you could see him being a great fit with? Because you also know the organizational culture and what the offensive schemes in. Is there somewhere where you see him particularly excelling? Because, you know, I know as a coach and you know, as an agent, the organizational fit is a huge part uh, of the success trajectory of players. So do you have any thoughts on that? 
without giving away too much information or even all the reasons why I see the Raiders being a fit for him. I also see the, um, the Packers being a good spot for him. Those organizations, I've, I've worked with the leadership, both organizations, I'm very familiar. Um, the Titans really, really like him, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, and I don't want the Titans to take that as a bad thing. I just, I see his fit situationally and system-wise um, being the best with the Raiders and the Packers. So that's just my gut feeling. Well, we all know that the Packers need to pick some wide receivers early. It's been the narrative <laughs> yes. for a while. So. <laughs> Get him Island Wallace. Get him early. <laughs> Kelly, we have one final question for you. And I just want to ask as a fan, we don't know what goes into the agent player relationship specifically when it comes to the draft. So is there one thing that you can give us that maybe nobody really knows when they're watching this draft, this event, one little piece of information? You know, I think the biggest thing is as an agent, I am in charge of managing expectations. And I learned that early that a player, it is no matter how much you mentally and emotionally prepare them for the draft process, it is brutal. Just ask Aaron Rodgers, ask Tom Brady. You know, yeah. They're still scarred to this day because of their past experience. And so managing those expectations and letting a player know you're not in this alone. I know you feel like you're alone, but you're not. And this is all going to work out. And we are going to believe that the best team and the best situation is going to come to you. And so I think that's making sure that a player is truly emotionally prepared for that process and then managing expectations. That's on draft day. That's my main goal. Awesome. I learned so much, Jen. I told you she's the best. There's, there's a reason why she has been the woman who's been leading this charge for so long and not only mentoring players, but other agents um, and is really a go-to for what it can look like to have that agent athlete bond and to really be holistic in that approach. And I, I know that I can just imagine what the emotions are going to be in that upcoming draft. Definitely, Talon is in the best hands possible and let him know that we will be watching and hoping that he goes early. You got it. Thank you so much. Thank you. is episode number seven we talked some trevor lawrence and of course we got some insight into the world of the agent i mean i i think it's so fascinating to be able to experience the draft process and the relational aspect of agents and players and none better than kelly masters she really has pioneered what it means to be a woman um, on the agent side of sports. And, you know, I just love how she lights up when she talks about her players, right? You can tell that it is genuine love. And to know that so many of her players were not necessarily like the, you know, the top touted draft picks, and yet that all of them were starting last season, it really shows that building into your athletes holistically is a strategic advantage. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot too, because I've never actually spoken to an agent before, or even really, you don't see them in the media much either, which I think is disappointing. And we need to see more of it because 
it's an angle to football that I think is valuable to sports in general. You know, we see the coaches, we see the players, we see the GMs even. Now it's time to see those agents step up and, and let's hear from them as fans. I, I'd like to hear from them more. Yeah, for sure. And I know a few, so I, I, you know, I can probably promise you, Mitch, that we can make that happen. All right, episode number seven of The Juke. Make sure you do follow us on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, of course, subscribe on YouTube. Peace.